Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege to gather uh, each Lord's Day. And, and now, Father, as we uh, turn our, our focus to Scripture, Father, we recognize again that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Lord, we, we learned last Sunday that we have a mission. It's called the Great Commission to make disciples and, and to teach and baptize. And that all comes ultimately from your truth, your word. And then, Father, we recognize that uh, without the Holy Spirit, Lord, we're not really going to truly understand and, and get all that we need because the Spirit is the counselor, the, the teacher. So, so Father, we, we now ask you to do what only you can do as we open Scripture. Speak to our hearts as a church. Speak to us individually. Thank you for everyone here. And, and Lord, as we spend February, again, sort of refocusing uh, what it is to be the church, what it is to be committed to your mission Lord, help us all to understand that uh, we are the church. And as the church, we have responsibilities. You call us to be active participants in it. So, so Father, speak to us. And we look forward to, uh, to what you're going to do in and through this local body of believers today and, and into 2020. So, so we love you. We love your word. And give this time to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we ended with a couple of slides that we're going to use to kick off with. And... And we looked at what is the church, right? And, and this, the one on the left, Stay the Course, is, is a poster that one of my daughters made for me. And, and it's kind of a saying we have around here in leadership is that we're going to stay the course. Life can change. Circumstances can change. Attendance can go up and down. But, but really here, we're committed to staying the course. And what is the course that we're committed to? Really, that the church is built on Jesus. He's the cornerstone. We're committed that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And we're committed that we are called to make disciples, right? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. So we stay the course. We stay the course. And then the one on the right, uh, we talked about that, the slogan, nail the colors to the mast. And we shared that uh, in naval sea battles, uh, the admiral's flags often would be on their, the ship, the general, the admiral's ship. And the colors, if they were ever knocked off the mast or were lowered, it was a sign of surrender. So to nail the colors to the mast meant that we are committed. We are all in. Done deal. We have chosen to nail the colors to the mast. Right? And last Sunday we we ended with really that firm conviction here at the well that, that we have nailed the colors to the mast. Right? We have nailed the colors to the mast. What do, what do we will? This is God's word. Right? This is, this, is the, this is the foundation of truth. We've nailed the colors to the mast that the church is the people. We've nailed the colors to the mast that we are committed to make disciples, which means evangelism, which means teaching, right? Kingdom kids, youth ministry, Tuesday nights. If everything we do here at the church goes back to the Great Commission, you know, we... We have a vision and a mission statement. It says, we are passionate followers of Jesus, compelled by his love to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. That we've nailed the colors to the mass. If you come here, this is what we're about. Everything we do, even having a car show. Which was great, right? We had a great car show last spring, right? We're planning on already this spring. Even having a car show fits this. Because if a car show didn't fit this, we wouldn't do it. Right. You have to understand that that everything in the bulletin, every announcement ultimately goes back to the Great Commission or our mission here or we don't do it. There's an intentionality. There's a there's a proactivity we have here where we think through everything because everything we put on the schedule, we recognize takes time, energy and resources on our end and on your end. So we're not here to fill your lives with more busyness. How many of you are busy enough already? Right. Right. How many of you are old enough to remember when Sundays were still kind of nothing was open, no little league? You remember that? You remember those days? Right. And there's this like Sunday creep that's happened, you know. And so life is full enough that we don't need to give you more to do's for the sake of, you know, more to do's. Everything we, we do around here in some way, shape or form goes back to, OK, Lord, how does this fit the vision or does it? 
or does it, right? Uh, how many of you ladies made Christmas wreaths with Garrett and Isaac, right? Making wreaths on a Saturday morning has to fit the vision. Well, we don't do it, it right? How does that fit? Relationship. Ladies enjoying each other's company, laughing, right? Garrett and Isaac getting to demonstrate their skills and teaching how to make Christmas wreaths, right? It all fits the vision somehow, right? Or we wouldn't do it. Or we wouldn't do it. So, so we've nailed the colors to the mast, right? We're committed to it. And here's the crazy thing, though. We get excited about that and there's truth to that. But man, oh man, that is so much easier said than done. And I'm, I'm not saying that we're intentionally not doing that. Or what do you, when I say it's easier said than done, it is so easy to get distracted. How many of you get distracted in your life? Easy, right? You had, an, you had something planned? How many of you have ever had like your honey-do list? And lo and behold, you got distracted. Anyone ever, right? And then the honey comes around and says, hey, what happened? And you're like, uh, well, golf was on. Or, you know, my, I started scrolling through my social media or something just distracts me. Well, the crazy thing is, as a church, if we're not careful, we can get distracted. And to stay on mission, to stay on task actually takes some intentionality. Years and years ago, I had a couple of friends uh, who would take me out on their boats to the Channel Islands right there in the gap. And they owned the boat, so they would take me out. And then once in a while, on our way back, they would say, hey, you want to drive? And I'm like... Okay, I'm not, you know, I've never owned a boat and I I enjoy fishing, but I never was the driver. And it was really interesting because to get back to the harbor, they would say, just look at that. Just pick something right over there. That's where the harbor is. Just look at that and just keep looking at that. Just steer the boat that way. And it's amazing how hard that is because you have the current and you have wind and you have waves, and then you have dolphins. You're like, dolphins, look, dude. And you're like, whoa, dude, dude, dude. And like, because I get distracted. There's like dolphins, or you, you know, clouds, and you're like trying to, you get distracted, and he's like, keep us there. All you have to do is look there and steer there. Guess that's the harbor. You know, I don't need the, I don't need the compass. Just look there. And I had to, I had to literally get rid of everything. And then I had the feel when the current, wow, we're drifting, and wow, there's a big wave, and one big wave would toss the boat a little bit that way, and I'd have to bring it back. It was a lot of work to keep it on task, online, you know? Or one little drift over time, and we're like heading to, you know, Oxnard instead of Ventura. It's like, okay. Well, here's the crazy thing. As a church, and in our personal lives with Jesus, if we're not careful... And if we're not intentional and if we don't recognize all the things around us that want to knock us off course, a week or two can go by and you're just drifting. You're way off course. How many of you ever missed church for a week or two or three and you just felt out of it, out of sync, right? And you're just like, wow. And then, and then it takes, it's like you missed two, three, four, and then it seems like a monumental effort to get the ship back into the Sunday morning routine. Or the Tuesday night routine. Or the youth group routine, right? Nothing wrong with routine. It helps us stay on task. It's when we drift and when we get distracted that we recognize the need for intentionality. The need for proactivity. So, so when it comes to church, why is it so hard for us as a church? And, in, and if the church is made up of us individually, why is it so hard for us to stay on task? Right? We would all rah-rah the Great Commission. We would all say, yes, we need to evangelize and we need to disciple. We need to evangelize. We need to teach. Why? It sounds so simple. Why does it just seem to be such a struggle? And, and honestly, sometimes it just boils down to an issue of the heart. That oftentimes, especially in America and the way we do church, it's about us. It's really about me. Right? And, and that can take some time to work through and some real honesty. And so I, I, thought, I found a video, and I just want to kind of share it with you, kind of a lighthearted way, kind of a poke, funny way to kind of poke and prod at ourselves, right? It's called the Me Church. So this is, this is the Me Church. 
wholeheartedly and recklessly calling the shots. Can I who sets the worship center temperature? But why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated <laughs> chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're going to make me volunteer like crazy. Yeah, don't get excited about that five-minute thing. It takes me five minutes to pray, so y'all get... Nope, nope. <laughs> kind of like, ouch. Kind of like, whoa, right? And and if I'm honest, you know, I grew up going to church, and, and, and even as I became a believer and started going to an evangelical church, my relationship with church, it's it's not... Sometimes it's been kind of antagonistic. Kind of like... You know, love, hate, because, you know, church is really good as long as church stays where it's supposed to be. Sunday morning. The Sunday morning slot. I like that. I enjoy that. I actually love that. It's when I sense that church is creeping out of its assigned spot in my life that I don't like church anymore. And now church is intrusive, and now it's antagonistic, and now it's a source of conflict. Now it's a source of conviction. Now it's a source of guilt. And now the guy's up there telling me I got to come Tuesday night and da da da. Now, now they're no longer, you know, guys I want to be around. Now they're thorns. Now I avoid them. Right? And it's kind of strange. It's like, okay, we love coming to church. We love coming to church. We love the people. We love the cheese. And the donuts, and the coffee, and the fellowship, right? We love it all, as long as it stays right where it's supposed to stay. And then maybe we'll feel, you know, something that we got, okay, Sunday plus Tuesday. But we're the ones calling the shots. And as long as we're the shot callers, and church and programming stays within our bigger agenda, we love it. But as soon as, we start to teach or we open scripture about what the church really is and what the mission of the church really is biblically, it gets a little bit uncomfortable and we may not even like it if we're honest because what's it ultimately butting up against? Our life, our schedule, our priorities, our boxes, our convenience, right? And, and if we're going to spend February looking at what is the church, we have to be willing to, to, to just even internally say, why, why do I struggle with this thing called church? Meaning, why do I struggle when church seems to, in my perception, interfere with my agenda? What's going on with that? Right? What is it? Why do I get so excited when they say five-minute sermons? <laughs> right? What are the expectations that you have brought into the definition of church? What is the expectations you've brought into your role in the church? Because as soon as we open Scripture and we start looking at the biblical teachings on church, if it doesn't jive with your tradition or your attitude or your thought or your comfort, there's some immediate tension right away some immediate tension and you have to make some decisions 
You have to make some decisions. So we're going to look at that today. Some of the reasons why, A, we struggle with this. And then we're going to look at what is the biblical, where does church come from really in a relational context. And, and years ago, uh, I learned this, this phrase from my kids who went up to the Joshua program at Hume. It's called DTR. DTR is define the relationship. So if, a, if a, like a guy and a girl are, are just friends and they start hanging out a little more and a little more, you know that weird stage, like what are we, is this going anywhere, right? So there's this phrase like, well, we have to have a DTR. Let's DTR. So DTR was let's define the relationship. Let's sit down and let's just have an honest discussion. A DTR, let's define the relationship. And I thought about that in terms of your relationship to Jesus and the church and mine, right? I think we have to have a DTR. We have to define the relationship because how many have ever heard the phrase, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship? Anyone ever hear that? Pretty cliche, right? So let's DTR that. What is the relationship? Because if you're not clear on the relationship and if you've carried this sort of misconception about, you know, are we dating? Are we just friends? Are we committed? It's, it can mess with you. It can mess with you, right? So you, some of you have seen this before. I, I, when I was doing this, I came up with a bunch of C words. Let's DTR and maybe just to check. On your relationship with Jesus and the church. So maybe it's casual, convenient. Oh, yeah. You know, as it fits, if, if Sunday mornings we're not really doing anything, we'll get there Tuesday if it fits. It's just casual. It's a casual, convenient relationship, right? Maybe it's cultural. Maybe you were born in the church. And I put churchy up there because it's tradition-based. It's tradition. So, so you, it, it's cultural. It's all you know. You know, you had an evangelical or a you know, denominational family. You were just, you know, if you were someone say, are you a Christian? And, and, and they say, yes. I say, well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I was born a Christian. You know? So maybe your relationship with Jesus and the church is more cultural. Maybe churchy. Next one. This is kind of a big one. Companion. Jesus is your buddy. He's your companion. And this is what I mean by companion is a lot of us turn our relationship with Jesus into just Jesus and me. It's very privatized, very individual. Uh, It's my prayer time. It's my reading. It's my Bible study. It's my, it's my, it's just Jesus and me. Okay? Well, if it's just Jesus and me, that's going to cause some ultimate conflict with the church, with the body of Christ, right? Crisis. Some of us have a relationship with Jesus and the church that's really just crisis driven. When there's crisis in your life, you're here and you're praying and you want to get involved and engaged. When things are good and there's calm waters, it's just not that much of a priority anymore. So it's a crisis kind of driven relationship. Contractual and covenant. Those are the ones that we're going to really focus on because. In our culture, right, there's, there's a quote when it's a, regarding this contract mindset. It says, America has become a contract-oriented culture, and we as Christians have bought into the mentality that all binding agreements, including marriage, are contractual in nature. We tend to think of marriage, life's most serious and sacred relationship, in terms of conditions, limits, rights, and even outs. So we're going to focus on this because there's a lot of us that come to church with a contractual mindset. Maybe you're in a relationship. Even your marriage might be contractual and you're having conflict and you don't really know what's going on. It might be even in your marriage, even in a relationship that you're viewing it contractually. Now, let me give you let me give you examples. Contract versus covenant. A contract focuses on the growth of self. A covenant focuses on the giving of self. A contract, a contract asks, what am I getting from this relationship? A covenant asks, what am I bringing to this relationship? A contract is predicated on results. A covenant is predicated on relationships. A contract is a have-to commitment. A covenant is a want-to commitment. Now you see how very quickly, if you come to church contractually, and we're approaching church covenantly, 
we're going to have some major sources of conflict. Because you've, you've, you've heard me say before, a lot of people come to church on Sundays as what I call getters. I hope I get a good sermon. I hope I get good music. I hope I get good, get, good. I hope I get, I hope I get, I hope I get. Where truth be known, in the covenant mindset, you come to church to give. We're to love one another as Christ loved. We're to bear one another. We're to encourage one another. And I've shared with you before, if you want to radically transform your church experience, come here to give. And in fact, before you come here, when you wake up and you're praying on a Sunday morning, pray. Say, Father, lead me to somebody this morning that I can give to. You will come here radically different. Your eyes will be up, the Holy Spirit, you'll be engaged in the Holy Spirit, you'll be looking to bless. And here's the crazy thing. If you come to give, you ultimately get the blessing. Amen? So when, when we come here on a Sunday, it's sure, we assume we're going to, you know, we, do, we, we work really hard to give you. So you get quality, you get, you know, it's organized and it's not chaos and all that kind of stuff. We understand at a certain level you're going to get But if we all came here to give, this place would be bursting at the seams. And what I mean by giving, give your ear to someone. When you ask, how was your week? Genuinely sit there and let them tell you how their week was. Pray. You know, make it normative. It doesn't just have to be after service. You're talking with someone before church. It's crazy, right? You can pray with someone before church starts. You don't have to wait for the invitation after here. You can share lives before church starts. I love what happens here. The early crew gets here about 8 o'clock and they're sharing life and they're giving love and fellowship to one another for two hours before the service even starts. It's like our first service happens in the commons. And it's giving. It's giving. It's giving. A lot of times we associate giving with like serving, doing, you know, children's. No, giving is ultimately yourself. Making yourself available. All right. So when you come to church, it's really about covenant and not contract. First Corinthians twelve twelve says this: the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us uh, are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. This relationship we have with the body of Christ is rooted in covenant, not contract. Now, it's really interesting. In the ESV, it says the body has many members and all the members are one body, right? So, why is that important? Because words matter. At the well here, you will not hear us say membership. We don't have membership here. Okay? Now, some churches do and that's fine. That's their tradition. I get that. Why don't we have membership here? A couple reasons. One, Membership in the American mindset has to do with contract. It's contractual. If we say you want to be a member, there's a contractual connotation that is just immediately a part of it, right? How many of you have a gym membership that you don't use? (laughs) Right? So if we have membership here and you go to contract and now it's optional to use it and avail yourself, now you're just a member, but this is why some churches have active, inactive Looking, trying to find them, right? They're all on the roll somewhere. That's why we don't have membership here, right? You're not going to find a, that, that term and that usage in the Bible, become a member of a church. The usage here where it says you are members of the body, it means like members, like fingers, not membership. So you're not going to hear membership here. What you're going to hear is covenant because at the root You and I as believers are in a covenant relationship. And that covenant relationship vertically simply plays out this way into what we call the church. So before, when I was kind of like antagonistic and like wasn't too thrilled with the church at times or too thrilled with the pastors at times, I didn't really understand that the church as an entity and the pastors and shepherds, all we're trying to do is help you grow in your covenant relationship with Jesus. 
That's all we're doing for you in your covenant relationship with Jesus. We're not here to pull you in 10 different directions to meet our agenda. We saw last week that Jesus, he says, I will build my church, right? So my role, the elders here, the leaders, all the ministries are designed to facilitate his blueprint, not ours. So I I was like, wait a sec, time out. I'm in covenant with Jesus. I'm in covenant with God. The church and the leaders are just simply trying to help me be in covenant with him. You mean they're not the spiritual popo? Right? Because people look at the pastors. Oh, here he comes. Oh, he's going to lay down the law. And I was like, kind of like antagonistic and kind of like, okay, okay. Now they're going to tell me what I did wrong again. Right? It's weird. People like, if wanna, you, you want to go sit in my office? Oh, that's the principal's office. Don't go to Richie's office. That's like going to the principal. I'm like, what? Well, if you, if you don't understand covenant versus contract, you can see it that way. The church and the church leadership simply are designed to help you grow in your covenant relationship with God in practical ways. Now, that might mean calling you out biblically. That might, might, might mean in your life saying, hey, this is what Scripture says. This is what Scripture says about that. It might mean doing that. But it's not my agenda. It's the builders. That's why we do what we do here. We're actually on your side. We're actually for you. We're not trying to make your life miserable. God isn't the great cosmic killjoy. And we're not his minions carrying out, you know, a plan to ruin your life and make you miserable. No, it's quite the opposite. We're here to help you enjoy God to the max. We're help you to, here to help you love him, flourish, be all that God wants you to be in Christ, in his church. That's, what, that's really what the church is designed to do. And it comes out of covenant. It comes out of covenant. Larry Richard says this, The notion of a covenant is unfamiliar today, but the concept of covenant is utterly basic to our understanding of Scripture. In Old Testament times, this complex concept was the foundation of social order and social relations. And it was particularly the foundation for an understanding of humanity's relationship with God. See, the early church, they understood covenant. They lived covenant. Our culture lives contract. That's why there's such tension with the church and what the church is supposed to be about. Right? Covenant versus contract. In fact, if you look at this slide, the biblical covenants, just a few. There's more than this. But just to kind of give you an idea, there was a covenant with Abraham, covenant with Moses, covenant with David, all the way to the new covenant. The people of the church understood covenant. Covenant was foundational to their relationship with God, to the progress, to God's story. It was all about covenant, right? What is covenant? It's a solemn binding arrangement between two parties and entails a variety of responsibilities, benefits and penalties depending on the specific covenant, often ratified with blood, right? So covenants, they weren't made, they were cut. They were cut. And I've shared this story with you before. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abram, who's going to be Abraham. And part of the cutting of this covenant was an animal was cut in half, right? And it says Abram fell asleep, right? And it says in Genesis 15:17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So, so what, would, what would they would do in covenants? It's called cutting covenant. So if I made a, a, a covenant with Mark, right, and we made this binding covenant, we would get together. And one of the things that they would do is they would get an animal, cut the animal in half, right? They would cut the animal in half. Imagine all the blood and all the guts are right there between the two, two pieces of this animal. And then Mark and I, the two people making the covenant, we would walk in a figure eight around these pieces and we would meet right in the middle. And we would go through a ceremony. And basically what we would be saying to each other is, if I or if you do not fulfill our end of this covenant, may it be to us like this animal. That's how serious covenant was. It's called cutting covenant. It's called the walk of death. Right? called the walk of death. Now, what's really interesting is covenant traditions have come over into the marriage ceremony tradition. 
So I've had the privilege to marry some of you in this room, right? Perform your ceremony. Isn't it interesting? Marriage is called a covenant, right? Isn't it interesting how two people in the marriage ceremony, there's two halves. And they will do the walk of death. Because <laughs> it's serious. It's serious. And I've shared this with, I think I might have shared it with, I shared it with you guys right over there. During their ceremony and I explained the walk of death. That's how God, how serious God takes covenant. Imagine, right? And I try to, you know, there's going to be another walk of death happening here in June, right? There'll be another walk of death. It's serious. We need to count the cost before we enter into covenant. And some of the other traditions back in the Old Testament, there would be an exchange of names, exchange of robes, all the things. There would be a meal. A lot of the traditions you see and you participate in if you attend a wedding ceremony or a reception are rooted, are rooted in Old Testament covenant making. It was a serious deal. It was a serious deal, right? And so we have to understand that if, if, if God takes covenant that seriously, how serious does he take my relationship with him? That's why I'm saying sometimes we're so flippant about church and about Jesus and about the things of God. We're in covenant with him, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And, 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 and the nature of covenant, I've shared this with you before, but you have to get this. If you don't understand the nature of covenant, uh, it can create some antagonism. It's diatheki versus suntheki. I've shared this with you before. When the Bible says that we're in a covenant relationship with God, it uses a very specific word, diatheki. A diatheki covenant means that there's two parties. There's a greater party, in, this, in, in that culture would be a king. The king sets the term, and the peasants can either agree or disagree. There's no negotiating. That's a diatheki covenant. Okay? Greater sets the terms. Lesser either agrees or disagrees. No negotiation. Okay? Suntheki is a peer-to-peer. It's a business deal. Me and Scott, we're going to make a deal. It's a suntheki covenant. It's a business arrangement. We, we negotiate, give and take. When you come into a new covenant relationship with Jesus, you're in a diatheki, greater to lesser. Think about the gospel. I've shared this with you before. The gospel is diatheki. Who set the term of the gospel? God did. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that right, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're listening to that with covenant ears, that's the greater, the greatest setting the terms of salvation. We as man, the lesser, can either agree or disagree. There's no negotiating. That same diatheki is the daily walk. That same diatheki is the source of our struggles oftentimes. Because how many of you have found things in this book where you want to negotiate with God? Right? We're reading something, forgive. Forgive as you have been forgiven. But you don't know. He doesn't know? Oh, so what happens is, God, in his goodness, wants the best for you. He gives us his commands, and Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Right? It's all good. It's all for our best. It's diatheki. He's still setting the terms. We, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in newness of life, are to just walk in a diatheki covenant relationship. Most of us get in struggle with God when we come across something that in the flesh we don't care for or like, and we want to turn it into suntheki. And we start negotiating and we start hemming and hawing. But I can't. But that's so hard. But you don't know. No. And that is one of the huge reasons that you need the church. Because in my life, if I'm struggling with something, I'm really good at rationalizing disobedience. I'm really good at excusing it. I'm really good at, you know, procrastinating on things. I'm really good at just creating a whole lot of wiggle room to just not do what I know I'm supposed to do. Anyone else? Just really good. What I have found is very helpful is to be able to say, hey, bro, 
Um, I need your help. Hey, bro, I'm struggling. And it's really good to have relationships in your life where someone can ask you that. You know, that guy right there. You know, I've shared this before. When Mark asked me out for breakfast or coffee, I'm like, oh, really? He's going to ask me. He's going to ask me how I'm doing. And then he's just going to smile and smirk until I come clean. Right? Oh, that's good, Mark. Oh, really? Okay, you got me, man. This is really what's going on. Really? I'm struggling, bro. We need each other to walk in diatheke. We say that God is good. Oh, see, like it's hard. They're already struggling. God is good. And all the time, even when he commands you to do something you don't like to do. (laughs) I don't know if you're that good. I'm not feeling really good right now. He's still good. It's his character. It's his nature. And so God in his goodness creates the church. Because we all need some others in our lives to help us keep walking daily. Right? And the devil comes in and says, oh, no, you can't share your weakness. Oh, no, you can't share your life because they're going to condemn you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to ridicule you. You can't share your life with them. You can't share your struggles because on Sunday, everyone just looks so good. And they're all happy. And all the kids are so well behaved. Right? It's this weird thing in the church. The very thing that God creates for us to encourage one another to love and good deeds, we twist into performance and insecurity and measuring up, and we all leave. I love Casting Crowns, their book, Plastic People. Right? It's covenant. We're in covenant with God. And we're really in covenant with each other. Right? It's the new covenant. It's the new covenant. And in the new covenant, God is dealing with our heart. He's transforming our heart. And it comes through, we'll look at Ezekiel. I will go to Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Under the new covenant, he's changing us from the inside out. He changes our heart, Right? Jeremiah, we'll go to Jeremiah 31. I, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's relationship. The new covenant is inside out relationship with God. And Hebrews 9 says this, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Right? So a new covenant through Jesus. And it's this tension, for many of us, it's just part of our sanctification of recognizing, okay, let me DTR this. As you sit here today, let me, maybe it's just great. Maybe today you're here to do a DTR. What has been my relationship with Jesus in my perception? Has it been anything but covenant? Because if it's anything but covenant, you're probably, you're probably hitting some obstacles and some speed bumps and some dips, and you're wondering, why is it? Why do I feel like it's just kind of... Uh, 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 uh. Probably because it's something other than covenant. Okay? And it's a process. And I asked Mark, you know, Mark, he's up here uh, quite a bit. And, and, you know, he's one of the elders. He plays a bass in missions. But I asked Mark to come up and share with you so you can get to know him as well. His journey into understanding this whole idea of covenant and church and, and kind of what God has done in his life. So, Mark, come on up. So good morning. So I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of uh, align myself with the Me Church that we watched the video about before. So Richie asked me to spend a little bit of time this morning sharing about, um, really what he said, kind of my 
experience and kind of my pathway relative to covenant and relative to serving, really kind of the body of Christ. And so I had all sorts of, you know, I was laying the foundation and setting the tone and scriptural references and doing all the stuff that Richie just did for about the last uh, 20 minutes or so. So I told Richie yesterday, you know, I had a certain amount of time planned, you know, that I thought it would take me to go through. And when my wife looked at this this morning, she said, are you saying all of that, you know? I said no, because <laughs> actually Richie's covered a whole lot of what I was going to cover. So um, I'm going to I'm going to be taking much less time than what I thought I was going to be taking. So we're all going to get out of here early, because <laughs> because I'm sure Richie. Yeah, exactly. That's why that's why I thought I'm kind of going with the me. You know, it's all about me kind of thing. So you have me to thank. You know, for us getting out of here a little bit early today. So. Um, <clears throat> So I really do want to just kind of talk about uh, my journey, um, and and frankly, I'm gonna. It may ramble a little bit more because I was all organized and structured and this kind of stuff. And I was thinking about ten minutes ago, I really probably ought to just pull a Nancy Pelosi, you know. The, the old <laughs> now, not because I don't agree with what I wrote, because I do. It's scriptural. It's biblical. It's true. But I did feel like, what the heck, just, you know, just tear it up and uh, kind of go, go, with, uh, go with my gut. So that's what I'm doing. I'm kind of going with my gut here. So, um, so really, I really had the great fortune, uh, just at, when I first became a believer when I was 19 or 20 years old, of finding myself in a fellowship for a long time, for about eight years, where I was... Um, introduced to, I both learned and I experienced the love of God. And so the, the first thing to me that, that was the beginning of my journey was it was about love and it was about reality. Um, I uh, just was <laughs> found myself falling quickly in love with Jesus Christ. And so when you think in terms of this covenantal relationship, this relationship that had, was introduced through Jesus of, of, of connecting me to God and putting his life in me. Because that was what I came to understand to be the reality of who I was as a human being. That I had gotten saved. Jesus had put his Holy Spirit in me. And because of that, I was no longer who I used to be. I was an absolute new creation. It took me a long time to figure out what that meant. But understanding and walking in and learning the reality of who I was in Christ, that I am seated with Christ in the heavens above, that His Spirit fills me, and because I am filled by His Spirit, I am a completely new creation. It was the reality of understanding that and true love, the love that grew in my heart for Jesus that really helped me understand covenant, understand what that really meant, that I honestly was no longer my own. I did not belong to myself anymore. Um, what I held, what I had, what I hoped for, what I loved, it wasn't about me anymore. It was now about Him. It was about Jesus. It was about His perfect will because His perfect will for me was the most beautiful thing that I could ever imagine. Um, so for me early on, it was that. It was love, finding and falling in love with Jesus Christ and understanding the reality of who I was in Him. Um, so, when, when, honestly, when I think about covenant, the encouragement that I would give anyone is fall in love with Jesus. Um, it's, it's, it's that simple, and it is that hard. Um, honestly, there's some real similarities to my having fallen in love with Kathy. That... Um, you know, that covenant that we have in marriage, that commitment that I have to her, 
the love that I have for her is just a picture, and, and frankly, a very imperfect one, but a picture of that love that I have for Jesus and that he has for me. Because as best as I can, it's not about me anymore. It's like Richie said, it's what can I give? What can I, how can I help her be who God wants her to be? But that love relationship, understanding that there is nothing more important than my love for her and her love for me. There is nothing more important in my life than the love I have for Jesus and the love that he has for me. Um, I did, however, you know, life is real. I'm a sinner. Um, it's not all roses and all that easy. Um, I did find as I grew in my faith that the greatest challenge that I had was the surrender of my will. Um, The notion of giving up what I want, what I think, who I think I am, that my will needed to be completely surrendered to the Lord. Um, I just want to read a short quote. This is by Oswald Chambers, and I think he describes this challenge that, that I faced. He says, True surrender is not simply surrender of our external life, but it's the surrender of our will, of our choice. And once that is done, once that surrender is complete, the greatest crisis that we ever face in life is the surrender of our will. Yet God, He never forces a person into willing, uh, He never forces us to surrender our will And he never begs us to do it. He just patiently waits until that person willingly yields to him. And once that battle has been fought, it never needs to be fought again. So that was part of my journey, was learning in light of the love that I had for Jesus, in light of the reality of who I was coming to understand I was in Christ, to learn through um, lots of trials and lots of hard times and lots of failure, how to surrender, to surrender my will to his. Um, I appreciated, um, you know, kind of Richie talking about um, kind of what covenant isn't, the differentiation between contract and covenant, because really that was something that I learned, again, I think, pretty early on that what God wanted was all of me. You know, this wasn't a negotiation. This diatheke type of relationship was absolutely how I grew to know God from the very beginning. Um, and that, that translates into our relationship together because our relationship as the body of Christ is completely based on the love relationship that I have with the Lord. The love that I have for each of you comes from the love I have from Jesus. The covenant relationship, the commitment that I have to you comes from the commitment that Jesus has given me, that he has given me the, a, a, the privilege of having in having, you know, imperfectly but learned over many, many years of how to surrender my will to him. Um, Jesus says in John 17:20, um, this is before, right before he is going to be uh, uh, crucified. He's talking to his father and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. That they, you and I, may all be one. One. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, I guess when I think in terms, the other thing that Richie asked me to just kind of share a little bit about, again, is just my own journey relative to this term serving, this of being part of the body of Christ. Because that's really what serving is all about. Serving in the church, serving in life, is you and I functioning 
as the, a member, as a part of the body of Christ. I learned that the expression of, of the church, the church itself, is really an expression of God's nature. That when you look at the Trinity, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the unity, the, the um, individuality and yet the unity that exists within the Trinity, that that is what the church is meant to be. That is God's purpose and vision and design for the church. That there is individuality and yet there is absolute oneness. That we are collectively one in Christ. We have lost the separation between us, we have been brought together to be one body in Jesus, and yet the expression of that body is as different as all of us are in this room. And to me, again, in learning that, it was so captivating, so beautiful, so um, unbelievable that that was reality, that the reality is that we as human beings sitting in this room together for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, that we have become one in Him and express the Lord, the living Lord, through our lives together as the church. Um, when you think, I, I thought about how Paul, the apostle, described himself. When he would address and he was writing a letter to the church and he was talking about his relationship to the Lord, and I think it also applied to his relationship with the churches, he used terms like prisoner. He called himself a prisoner, a prisoner to God, a prisoner, frankly, even on behalf of the churches, someone who had no control over his life anymore, someone who was put in a situation and the keys were thrown away. He was a prisoner, had given up all of his rights to serve and love the Lord and the churches. He called himself a bond slave. None of us today would willingly put ourselves in, in human terms into a slave type of role, but Paul relished the term, I'm a bond slave to Christ. I am compelled. I am poured out. My life is poured out for you because of, who, because of the love that I have received from Christ. He calls himself a servant, someone who has no regard any longer for his own needs, but only for the one that he serves. Um, that is God's design. When you and I think in terms of serving in this world, in the church, serving one another. That's the terms that Paul was thinking in terms of. Those are the terms that you and I can think in terms of. For me, my journey in serving in the church has been a winding one. Um, early on, uh, just as to how I function as a member, just one member in the way that God has gifted me, just like He has gifted you, for me, it has really changed a lot over the years. Early on, I think it was really clear that the Lord gave me purpose and service in the church, in, in administration, in leading, in all sorts of things actually within the church. But over time, um, that really changed. And again, just um, another quote from Oswald Chambers um, Every element of our self-reliance must be put to death by the power of God. The moment we recognize our complete weakness and our dependence on Him will be the very moment that the Spirit of God will exhibit His power. That was, again, just a personal lesson. It took me a long time to learn, and I'm still learning it. You know, that the work that God gives me to do or you to do in the church cannot be done in our own power. It has to be done through absolute reliance on Him. Finding our weakness is His strength. Um, as I mentioned, I also found that just the focus of what the Lord put in my life was also very different over time. From working in the church to Him radically changing my life and putting a, a real heart for mission and a heart for mentoring in my life. 
And the last thing I just want to share, um, just a couple of things that I, I think that I really reflected on things that I think are true relative to our serving in the church and our being the body of Christ. Um, it talks in Romans uh, 12, uh, Paul says, he challenges us, he commands us really to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but to think with sober judgment and to do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others as more significant than ourselves in Philippians. So humility is really a part of, of any godly service of how we serve and love one another. There will always be humility in doing that. In John 13, Jesus says, um, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And that is how the world will know that we are his. Um, so love will always be a characteristic of any of us functioning in the body of Christ. Humility, love, and lastly, in First Peter, uh, the apostle says, in order that everything, in everything, God will be glorified. Um, through Jesus Christ. So everything relative to serving in the body, in functioning as members of the body, will, in, will, the, will smell and portray humility and love and God being glorified. So my encouragement just to all of us is to just pray and ask the Lord kind of how he sees, what is our function in the body? How do we glorify the Lord, humility and love in the body of Christ? So... That's my journey. So here at the well, when it comes to covenant, you know, it's like, well, what does that look like? Is there classes? Is there, is there some formal thing? You know, and, and that's actually developed and evolved over the 10 years that we've been in church. Uh, if God is calling you to be a part of the well here in, in covenant, uh, it's as simple as let one of us know. And we'll just sit down and we'll chat and we'll get to know you. It all begins in relationship. All begins in relationship. And then we want to find out how God has gifted you. What's your gifts? What's your talents? Because we're all, we've all been given one. And, and it's all for the edification of the church. But fundamentally, it's, it's not real formal. It used to be, right, until Mark showed up. And then, um, you know, we, we had this formal process. It's still there. Um, you know, forms and classes and all this kind of stuff. And, and some people are wired that way. And then Mark came and um, said, no, I'm in. I don't need to sign anything. And we're like, great. And, and that was fine because covenant is about the heart level. It's heart level. Some people have filled out the forms and they're no longer here. Some have never filled out the forms and he's speaking to you because he's in covenant. Because it's a heart issue. It's a spiritual it's a heart issue. So if, if God is calling you into covenant here at this local body, we would love to chat with you. Just get to know you, build relationship over time, over time. We're not in a hurry to get you, you know, get you doing, right? Because it's like some people think of membership and covenant is code for get you doing, get you working. No, it's really relationship. We're committed to you. We want to do it biblically. We don't always do it perfectly, but we want to do it biblically. And we want to be faithful to shepherd the flock of God that God has given us. And here's the crazy thing. If you don't end up here, go be in covenant and, or membership at another local body because you're already in the big C church. You can't escape if you if you can't escape just because you're not at twelve ninety grand. You're supposed to be doing this everywhere. Whatever local body you land in, you're supposed to be committed and serving and faithful there because it's all part of God's kingdom. So if God is calling you into covenant with us here, we'd love to talk. We'd love to pray with you. Just get to know your story. And then see, see where it develops from there. Okay? Fred Lowry says this, God is a relational being. He is our heavenly father, and to be a father involves connection. It implies relationship. God was connected to us by creation, separated from us by sin, and reconnected to us by our redemption through the death of Jesus on the cross. His covenant with us through Christ is the ultimate relationship. It's the ultimate relationship. In Luke 22 the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus says this, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You see, when he said that, the listeners would have perked up and said, In, in his blood? 
they would have gone right back to cutting covenant in the Old Testament. They would have seen the pictures of the animals and all the blood and they would have understood that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And he's cutting covenant with his blood. His blood. And so Mark talked about surrender. If you're struggling with surrender, you know, the thing is, like, how do you get to that place of surrender? How do you get to that place where it's like, it's all you, nothing is mine, and, and Jesus, just take my whole life. You've got to go back to the cross. You've got to understand, and, and, you know, it's kind of as basic. For me, this is what kind of sealed the deal. As I was, in, you know, seeking, I'm trying to understand the Gospels, people would share, doing reading. I said, okay, let me get this straight. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Yes. So I'm a sinner, and the Bible says that there's no way I can earn this. Right. You can't earn salvation. Right. You can't stop by works. So I'm trying to figure this out, right? I'm, I'm like, okay, let me think. I'm walking this through. So let me just put this in, in, in my own words. So you're saying, because of my sin, I was on my way to hell, and there's nothing I could do to work or earn my way out of that mess. Correct. So then, let me explain this. So let me get this right. So then Jesus came and shed his blood, and by faith in him, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Yes. And I'm just like sitting there, and you know, I'm not like maybe the sharpest tool in the kit there, but I'm like, well, then, what claim do I have on me? I was helpless and hopeless on my way to hell. Jesus came and died for me, shed his blood on the cross. By faith in him, I'm on my way to heaven of nothing of myself. What claim do I have on anything in my life? How can I possibly claim anything? I'm just his. <laughs> It's all his. I mean, I don't know. When, when those dots got connected and I understood the ramifications of my lostness and his grace and love, I just gave it all up. I have no claim on anything because there's hell, which I was headed to very quickly, and now there's heaven, of which nothing I can claim any credit for. What possibly can I keep from him? What possibly is... I'm just, I, that's just my story of coming to this place of, of this call to ministry and this surrender and being uncomfortable almost every Sunday up here, have to use my gift. And, you know, all these eyes staring at me, you know, and I share with my wife, man, you know, I am really not this upfront guy. You know, I know they look at me a certain way and they're like extroverted and you're so funny. I'm like, dude, I am very happy at home by myself landscaping <laughs> to be up here on this side of the mic every week is a stretch and a half you don't even know you don't even know but it's my gift it's a call and i do it faithfully for the sake of the church i just do it I, that's why it, it's, it's a miracle that any of you are here i still don't understand that in in the human i don't understand that because it's so wacky to me because i want to be home landscaping right now because that's my safe world that's my safe place but I do it, and I do it because it goes all the way back to that understanding at one point when I had this, like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? And I just had to say, okay, Lord, here I am. Send me. Okay. That's kind of that's where I'm at. And that's where I hope, you know, that's, that's my heart as a pastor. That's our heart here is just wherever you're at with Jesus, we get the surrender thing. Thank you, Mark, for sharing your honesty about that. Yeah, it's that surrender. It's that diatheke. You got nine good good. You got nine good ones, and then you get that one. But that's why we're the church, is to help us grow in those areas where we're struggling with surrender, submission. Oh, okay, it's all yours. It's all yours, right? So we just do that together. And then 1 Corinthians, Vinny, you can come up. 1 Corinthians 10 says this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. So we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to open up the communion table. And up here, if you're new, we have cups, and then we have bread, which is kind of symbolic of a loaf that's been broken.
And so in covenant, part of communion, when you come up, is to recognize that if you're a believer, we're all in covenant. And the way we do communion here and coming up and you seeing each other and being next to each other and, you know, in, in line, it's designed actually to be a demonstration of unity. Unity in Christ, unity in covenant with one another. Okay, it's not just tradition. It's not just something that we think is cool to do every Sunday. No, this is very profound. It's so profound that, you know, we're going to sing this song. And during this song, DTR. DTR. Define your relationship. Are you in anything other than covenant in how you, how you perceive Jesus and the church? Is there something in there right now that you're kind of antagonistic to the church? Oh, they still want this. All I knew was about money. All I knew was about serving. They just want, they just want, they just want. Are you struggling? Is there an issue of diatheke in your own relationship with Jesus? Is there something you're not surrendering? Right? Sing this song with us and then we'll open up the communion as a symbol and a demonstration of your covenant. Covenant with him first and foremost and then covenant with each other. Loving as he has loved us. Okay. Let's sing this song.